This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Ken Smetters. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money here in Sirius XM's Business Radio Channel 111. That's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smethers, professor here in the Wharton campus in Philadelphia. And remember, we are live every Tuesdays from 5 to 7 p.m., repeated throughout the week. And really, the single purpose of this show is simply to help you make better decisions with your money. And we often focus on ways of how, of course, to save your money and things like that. But, of course, we talk about also uh, things like how to pay down your debt. With that, let me introduce my first guest. Todd Sensing is the CEO and founder of Family uh, Vest, and they work with young families as well as older families um, who have uh, special needs. And he has, a, as I mentioned earlier, a father himself of two boys on the autism spectrum. So it, it, this is a personal issue for him, um, as, as, on top of it being a professional um, issue as well. And, and uh, he's a CFP certificate uh, advisor and, again, um, a fee-only advisor, including being part of the NAPFA network. Welcome to the show, Todd. Hi, Kent. How are you? Good. And if you have a question, especially right now, and talking about special needs children, it could even be your parents in, in a, a, a tough situation as well. And now's a great time to call um, uh, here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So, Todd, what are some of the biggest challenges that a family faces when planning, um, you know, for a child with special needs? Obviously, there's you know the, the financial, but there is much more. Sure. No, it's it's well, it's just being overwhelmed with the with the um, the a- actual dealing with um, an illness or dealing with a disability or dealing with some other factor that's that's creating a special case and just having that to you know, you know bouncing around with therapies and and and, and different circumstances yeah. you may be trying um, new things to to get better uh, results and just growth and whatnot. So it, it becomes a scarcity issue of just time and the ability to spend time um, completely understanding what they what all the options are that are out there and actually how how each of those options may um, actually impact yourself because you know children or families with special needs are not all are, are not all the same and most of the time they're all different in in, in very many different ways um, and I, I have that similarity in my family as well I have one son who's um, relatively high functioning and one that's a little bit lower functioning, but they would require two separate um, distinct plans just because they have two separate distinct um, expectations as far as what their what's what the capability of for them um, in the long run is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, certainly the costs associated with therapy. There is the fact that maybe one of the parents. Um, is going to not work um, and to stay home with the kids uh, or, you know, alternatively having somebody else, uh, you know, watch uh, a child. But you also brought up an interesting point here, and that is when we think about the planning situation, often somebody who's low, a child who's less functioning, they may be dependent on you for the rest of your life. And so that certainly is going to look, you know, different in terms of like different life insurance that you're going to maybe be thinking about versus a more higher functioning child who maybe is going to be able to go to college and so forth. So it's a completely different 
um, you know, uh, within special needs, I guess uh, the point is we don't want to lump it all uh, together. So you, you said in the past, you know, you, you have a, you're a parent of two sons on the autism spectrum, and that that's really kind of helped you, you know, both connect with clients and help them guide them in the planning process. And I, I certainly can see how it can help you, you know, connect with them um, in a very kind of personal way. Talk about the planning itself. I mean, we already distinguish between kind of high and l- lower functioning. What is it about, you know, your experience, but it, some other factors associated with planning um, where it becomes important to really make some distinctions. Is it just about in terms of level of functioning or are there other aspects uh, with the special needs? Sure. Well, I like to start off um, with with a life plan and a letter of intent and some some folks would um, maybe even use that at the uh, start with that at the the end or use that at the the end versus the beginning. Um, But I, I feel that if you to really get a grasp and to be able to come up with any kind of financial estimate, what's you know, you really need to get a grip on what the life expectations are. And so, yeah. you know, getting the family together and having that conversation about what uh, what they can plan for, I guess, and what you know, what are their stretch goals, and and what are the different things that could happen if 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 health deteriorates or if other various factors um, or various things that could happen happen. And so what I try to do is, is to help people see the various outcomes that are possible and then how we can plan around each of those. And then through time, we basically will get better information as far as what's capable, what the resources will be. And then only then can you actually come up and define um, a plan and actually have a path forward that's, you know, that's ground in factual information. Sure, now, yeah. All right. That being yeah, so there's certainly things like life expectations that you need to understand. There's, you know, ability of the ch- child to work um, uh, l- later on. What are some of the other, you know, specific factors besides life expectations, ability of the child to work? Where are some of the key ones that you, you, you really probe? Sure. If it's Well, I think that um, just learning more about the health status because mm-hmm. there's different health statuses for um, different disabilities, and that's why you, you, you really care just different diseases. And, and I have clients with um, with some uh, very rare type disorders where it's you know it's not easy to come up with an estimate for certain things. So there's always going to be uncertainty and volatility. So yeah. in one instance, you could have a lot of volatility in an estimate for someone because we don't know their health concern or the the health concerns um, aren't known. Yeah. And then there's certain instances where we pretty much know what the health um, events are, and then and there's a, and there's enough history, and there's enough with the with the individual and with with that diagnosis that that you feel a little bit more comfortable. But yeah. getting folks comfortable with being uncomfortable about sure, about yeah, absolutely, is, that's that's would be yeah. a tough conversation. I mean, the life expectations one in particular, you know, it, it seems like that that could be sometimes a challenging conversation. No mother wants to hear that their son maybe only has thirty, forty years, you know. Um, you know, of a life expectation. I mean, how do you deal with that? I mean, that seems like a very tar- challenging conversation. And I've had that conversation just recently where where, where that was an unknown. Um, and it was a very painful situation for the family in that the child is in a lot of pain as well. Sure. So, you know, it's, it's, but they were, you know, they've, that child or the child's an adult child now, 24 years old. So they're very well, 
they've been down the path. So they've gone through the various, I guess, forms of of grief and dealing with, with yeah. the, what was the possibility. And so they've kind of come to grips with a lot of that before I've got, you know, before I get to them and have this discussion. So they have some good ideas of, you know, but it is, it's still a, it's a, a very difficult um, yeah. uh, conversation to have. But I think, you know, pulling back from my own experiences and whatnot, I don't know that even I, um, you know, prior to having my own children, probably had enough of the, not that I didn't have empathy, but I probably just didn't understand the complexity sure. and the number, I mean, just the vast number of, of variables that are going into yeah. the outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, uh, going to an advisor who, who can truly empathize, and, you know, on one hand, it's a mechanical calculation. Once you have these numbers, we can we can crunch out numbers, but, I mean, it's, it's really uh, more important, or not more important, but also very important that you're not just talking to somebody who can give you inputs and outputs, but really help you sure. kind of think yeah, through that. I talk to I talk to people in the in the you know I can do optimization from a financial sure. sense, yeah. and sometimes we'll start with that, but you're you're going to get to a point where there's going to be decisions that are made that aren't peculiar. I mean, there's just not a um, a dollar amount. Yeah. It's an emo- it has to be a values based judgment, and then you know, having the family have those discussions and, 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 and define those values, you know, that's when it becomes a little bit more tough because you have your, well, this is what it looks like optimally from a financial mathematical type of point of view. And then this is, you know, but that's not really the, 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 the what's probably going to end up happening in the end um, because yeah. there's going to be trade-offs that are going to have to be made. Yeah. And, and that's what Todd's planner scarcity, you know, yeah, and speaking with Todd Sensei, he's the CEO and founder of uh, Family Vest in Destin, uh, Florida. If you have a question, especially uh, regarding special needs, just give us a call here uh, live on Tuesday. So pick up the phone. Now is a great time to call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So when we think about constructing a financial plan, I mean, typically when it, we think about parents and their kids, we always want parents to first protect their retirement um, because we say with well, kids, it's just getting through college. You can always take out loans if a worst case scenario they get through college here it's obviously uh, you know different i mean it, it, but there is that cl- you know there has to be a big trade-off here you want to provide for your kid um, especially a lo- lower functioning um, child who may be dependent on you for the rest of uh, you as the parent um, natural life um, so what is the kind of the minimum retirement that you're trying to get you know parents to or, or how do you how do you figure out that trade-off well, I mean, that's that, that we open up the conversation, and I try to focus on the the parents first in general. Just you know, going back to the um, the airplane analogy with your your oxygen mask, and, I'm, and I've heard others sure. speak of this too. It's just for a, for a family to be fun, fully functional and functioning, especially when you have so many demands, you need to be a well oiled machine. And so you, you really kind of need to take care of yourself first, whether it be respite care, whether it be during your planning for retirement, because without you being there um, or without the parent being there, then that, that creates a whole other set of, of, of issues and, and stressors. So, 
Um, yeah, I think that's how. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, it sounds tough to, to do that. Uh, you know, your your oxygen mask first, but like you said, it's if you're not there, that's even worse. Because one of the biggest things you're going to really be helping with is still with your time. So let's talk about more specifics. Let's say government benefits. You know, uh, sure. there are various government benefits out there. What are the, some of the big ones that people should be talking about? We'll talk a little bit about ABLE Council later on. What are some of the big ones? Sure. Well, I think when, you, when you're looking at uh, pr- protecting the social safety net, in a large, and, and in many ways um, you have your SSDI and your, or, your, um, or your programs that are, or your fe- federally mandated programs that are either um, entitlement-based or they're based on financial need. So these usually come in at different times of, of, a, of a life, I guess, or in, in, in the life cycle, I guess. So you have SSDI um, and uh, those sorts of things. Medicare that would drive Medicare would happen probably a little bit earlier because the child doesn't have a um, is a dependent and doesn't have income. Mm-hmm. And then you and then as they grow older and reach age, um, SSI or social security or supplemental security income would be next, followed in that basically opens up the door, which is one of the largest um, doors, at least for uh, things that the gut or you know, the, the benefits that can that are that are out there is through Medicaid, because that opens the door to some other longer term um, training type of um, situations in health care and, and those sorts of things. So that safety net is probably in the top two or three things that we focus on just protecting, because if that's protected, and you have a, you know, and your your own retirement is is taken care of, and you've protected that. Then you have a base plan that does yeah. the base. You know, it'll do the, the the basic job, and then from there, it's a function of well, how do we? What are the trade offs? And 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 doing the analysis that you actually get to make a decision. Yeah, yeah. So what unbiased. a lot of people don't realize is that certainly almost half of Social Security benefits are paid out for things outside of the normal kind of retirement um, uh, benefit. It's, it's Some of it's spousal and survivor's benefit, but in many cases it's things like supplemental security income, DI, and things like that. So let's talk about some of the legal considerations that uh, families also face. I mean, there's a good chance, you know, your son or daughter you know, who is has a certain various disability is not going to out survive you, and so that certainly creates some um, uh, challenges as well. Uh, what are some of the legal things that families should be thinking about, whether it's wills and other things? Sure. Well, just uh, as a typical family, you would want to make sure that you have your wills and your um, and and your just your estate planned out, and your beneficiaries designated properly. You know, in the instance of a of a of a family with special needs, uh, a, a supplemental uh, needs trust or a special needs trust um, is often used to protect that safety net yeah. because there are, um, as you get older, there are limitations to the amount of income one can have. So. The legal aspects, or that's the, the, I guess, one of the largest um, areas of, of focus as far as legal legal things are concerned. And then, of course, you have conservatorship and, and guardian, you know, guardian of the person, and just being able to, if that, if the individual um, cannot make uh, judgments or decisions on their own, um, or there's financial, or they need more financial help and that sort of thing. Um, so you just have to kind of address. All of those. Yeah, yeah. And it certainly is important. You mentioned the special needs trust, and sometimes called the supplemental needs trust. And 
things like that to really make sure that your your child is uh, cared for after you pass away. But then there's also a, a chance that that um, it could be just the opposite, or it could be that you know you pass away and your child doesn't live for that much longer. And so, what where does the um, those resources go? So it requires certainly a lot of legal. Preparation. So before you know, someone walks through your door, walks through an attorney door, and I imagine that they should be visiting you before an attorney anyway. But you know, what kind of prep um, you know should a family be doing before they come to you? I mean, should they be doing you know emotional uh, you know a preparation with a uh, with a, a professional in that that area, or is that something that you also uh, dive into? Sure. No, I think that, you know, just to, to, to get started, I, I think that um, if you before someone comes to see me, there's, you know, there's several things that um, just communicating with the, the entire family, the extended family, anyone that you know that may want to um, help your family or support your family and not not for that, not to ask for support, but just so that if, if for some reason something were left, that it could, if something were left to your child for their support in the long run, that it could be protected so that they wouldn't lose that safety net. Because that's, that's the ultimate, um, uh, or like I said, the, being able to obtain Medicare and the, and the, some of the, of the benefits that it um, offers, you, you just definitely cannot um, lose uh, the safety net. So if someone were to leave uh, your child, you know, let's just say it's a small sum of money, it could be something as small as $10,000, that would jump their income up so that they would lose those benefits um, for a period of time until you could either figure out a way to spin down the assets or um, or, or set up a... a, a, a sure, a but it sounds like the, you know a person should actually be Bef- uh, you know, uh, coming to you first to kind of understand what the, the the rules are in terms of you know asset testing, income testing, things like that. Um, you know, before taking on money and resources from a another family member, because like you said, it could be the case that the you know implicit marginal tax rate uh, is very high in those transfers. If in fact, sure. um, you know, that they don't understand uh, what, what's kind of going on. So it, it sounds like to me, you are one of the first stops here, but maybe that they should be, you know, thinking about. I mean, are you doing kind of the psychological therapy, or is that are you hoping somebody else is kind of uh, in that? <laughs> you know, my my wife's actually a licensed practitioner. Yeah. licensed practitioner counselor. And I've always tried to talk her into to joining the firm in that in that realm because I think that it's. Sure. Um, very necessary, but I've been, I do do that myself um, yeah. now okay. in, in the initial stages just to sort of get that, um, that better understanding. Yeah. But um, no, we, we, we don't necessarily um, focus on it from a professional standpoint. Sure. And speaking of Todd Sensing, again, the CEO and founder of Family Vest in Destin, Florida. If you have a question, especially if a special needs uh, child, you can give us a call. 11 Tuesdays here at one eight four four Wharton. That is one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So just a, a couple more ones before we break. And the, the first one is people have heard about these able um, accounts. You know, they're technically part of the five two nine IRS law in a sense that they enable states to create these accounts. States don't always they don't have to. If five twenty nine is 
is optional. Um, and so some states have them. A lot, lot, lot more states now have ABLE accounts. Some states still do not. Explain quickly what these accounts are, um, how they basically work. You know, Do you like them, not like them? The take-up rate doesn't seem to be that enormous. But sure. at the same time, you know, it's, uh, it's, it is for a more niche audience. But your thoughts? Sure, sure. Well, it's a it's a it's a tool in the toolbox, um, and there's a lot of different tools in the toolbox. And I would imagine that in most every special needs plan would probably include one. Mm-hmm. It's a function of how it's implemented, and, and that sometimes is specific to the family. But an able account is very similar in in some respects to the special needs trust in that you can um, put money into the account; it can grow tax deferred, and then that money can be used in, in much the same way as money that would be used in a special needs trust and it has those tax I mean it has those tax benefits now there are limitations in that you can the the actual amount of monies that can be varies from state to state um, so the limits and they're usually around 4 or 500,000 dollars but that is the limit to which it can grow not necessarily the limit to which you could you know you could deposit monies into that type of an account. Right. That limit is, is, is smaller and tops out around 100000 but then you also have um, gift tax implications and things of you, you can't put um, um, you, can't, you, you wouldn't want to overfund that um, necessarily in any one given year. But because of the tax implications of the long term, I'm usually with clients using that for long term inflation hedging type of investments that might have long might have more tax implications so they would be better suited or better located in a um, an able account versus a trust yeah no it, 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 again it's it's you know part of the 529 um, you know IRS section so you put in the money after tax but can grow um, tax deferred um, and it's provided you take it out for approved expenses kind of like with college 529 plans for college uh, you take it out for college expenses you're, you're not going to pay any sort of penalty and that's it's a similar idea with able accounts they have to be for approved expenses and so finally when you talk about insurance you know we're big fans of term insurance in general on this show you know the what the expression you know uh, you know buy term and invest the difference it's going to usually be better than some type of of permanent insurance where you have some type of growing cash value. But this is one area where it sometimes does make sense to have a whole life policy or universal life policy um, if, if your child's dependent on you for the rest of your, um, your own life. Um, what are some of the, the different roles that insurance products can be playing? Sure. Um, you know, for instance, in the trust situation, or going back oh. to that, it can fund those trusts. Um, uh, I mean, what I typically how I would use uh, a whole life, I would structure something as a, a survivorship policy or a second yeah. to die, which would be on two lives. And so that way, that solves the, the problem that most every family, I guess, with special needs or with, with a child with special needs would, would ultimately ask me is, well, what are, what, we're just worried about what happens when they're gone. We have our retirement. And this is where you typically see where you have a child that's transitioning to adulthood, and then you also have the parents who are transitioning to retirement. So you've got these two major you know, storms sort of kind of working together and of, of information that needs to be taken care of or funding that needs to be, that needs to be found. So for the, for, the children's in, uh, for the children at that point, um, a survivorship policy tends to be a lower-cost policy, yeah. but it does have a cash value. 
And there's various ways you can structure those. But the reason, I mean, that was part of the reason why I wanted to spend a lot of time focusing on special needs is that I don't sell products and I don't, I don't have a, um, an axe to grind. I don't look at the planning process with any one client as um, in, in a prism of what my company sells or anything of those nature. I look at the problems that they have individually and customize that solution to, yeah. fit, to fit that need. So if it does, if, if permanent insurance is necessary, which it often is, then I would look to those policies. But there's plenty of policies out there that have either no load or low load or, yeah. or zero load. It's just a function of finding them, and no one's really being paid to sell those. So um, sometimes they're left unfound. Right. And right. And then in the, the second to die makes a lot of sense there because you're if at least one parent is still alive, often then there's still ability to take care of the child. That the child has a place to live, things like that. Um, and so second to die permanent policies often a great solution. And like you said, part of a trust. So thanks, uh, Todd, so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me, and, and, and I enjoy talking to you about this, and, and any time I get the chance to to um, discuss uh, special needs planning with folks, I, I just jump at the chance, right. so I thank you so much for having me. Right, and if, thanks so much for doing uh, that particular area. It's, it's a, an important need, and it's great that you're able to be in some sense vulnerable yourself to, to your own story in that area. So you can find out more about Todd by going to his website, familyvest.com. Dot com again familyvest.com for more insight from business radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu